We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. What kind of mythical powers does a Sun Devil have? We've got to consider that. It's embarrassing, but we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fools thinking we're pretty good. Jaworski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to a Thursday edition of the Roto-Wire College Football Podcast. Nick Whalen joined, as always, by Roto-Wire's lead college football editor, John McKechnie. John, it is that time of the week. It sure is. I'm very excited. Um, the, been looking forward to this. I mean, last week was so crazy with the SEC uh, getting back in into action, and there was a lot of you know, fun games going on across the country. Elsewhere, the Big 12, uh, just as drunk as you would hope it would be for the end of September. So they're, they're in midseason form. Oklahoma losing a game to Kansas State. Uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. But, you know, we, f- things really feel back to normal, like the, the inception totem. Uh, of Big 12 being out of hand already uh, and SEC being back. Uh, It feels like the real world is still happening and the world is still spinning on its axis. So I'm feeling good, man. Yeah, that that little like totem top thing that that spins an inception that that you know it's going right when you look up and Kansas State 
has won at Oklahoma. Georgia has five points at the half. Uh, Florida's <laughs> just throwing the ball all over Ole Miss. Um, I mean, I, and then I think like the most college football-y result of the week is, of course, Texas 63, Texas Tech 56. The Big 12 uh, has, has really already outdone itself through these first couple of weeks just yeah just remarkable Te- texas's ability to to play to their level of competition whether it's you know playing oklahoma tough or you know letting a, a tcu or a texas tech really take them to the brink or kansas last year even um a lot of fun a lot of fun it m- must be um <laughs> i don't even know how how one would manage to to be a texas fan at this point it's such a roller coaster like every single week yeah, they're uh, they're well on their way to securing a spot, I think, in the Who's Back Bowl that we discussed last week. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know who you know who played oh, their way out of it. Who did? The, the, from the Florida division, uh, looks like Florida State is not back. They might be. They couldn't be further from being back. In fact, I think they. Well, that's a good question. Is this is this their now lowest point? There have been a few candidates. Is this losing by forty two uh, at Miami? last weekend is this their their lowest point in the last like 30 years it it might be it it really might be um because you know the the bowden years were were pretty much always very very competitive um the the early stages of of jimbo's career there were were really good they've had some some embarrassing losses I, i thought that the op- season opening loss to georgia tech was pretty bad but um there there's something to be said for getting completely stomped on national TV by by you know a team that you're on on the level with, if not uh, maybe even doing a little bit better than or or should be in theory uh, like like Florida State is with with Miami. But um, I, I think there's always a question that, as to who is the is the top dog between those two schools. And at this stage, like Miami is just really really far ahead of Florida State. And if you're a Florida State fan, I know that there have been some some complications, and and this season is just weird as a whole. So breaking in a new coach um, offers a whole new set of of hurdles to get over and everything like that. But man, it's I I don't know if you're a Florida State fan what I can say to make you feel better at this point. It, it's it's pretty tough. There's something about losing to a rival, uh, a rival that in its own right might not even be back, uh, that, that I think makes it a little worse. You know, it, it's one thing to like get tripped up by a mid-major team or something, but I, I think being blown out by six touchdowns by the one team on your schedule that you really want to beat, I, I don't really think it gets much lower than that. Nah, man. So that, that, that's, a, that's a long look in the mirror on Sunday morning for, for the mm-hmm. Florida State faithful. That's tough stuff. Yeah, we'll, we'll maybe dig a little bit more into that game when we recap week four. A few news items to get to at the top. Uh, Paulson Adebo, star cornerback at Stanford, officially opted out earlier this afternoon on Thursday. So that's a pretty major loss uh, for the Cardinal out in the Pac-12. Uh, five-star freshman running back, Demarcus Bowman. Absolutely absurd spelling of Demarcus. Um, <laughs> but that aside, he has entered the transfer portal. And he's leaving Clemson. Uh, not something you see very often. Uh, any indication of, of where Bowman might end up at this point? Yeah, De- Demarcus Bowman with like the the Calvin Klein uh, navigation of the of the KC in in his name. Very interesting. Uh, don't don't see that too often. Like, no, but um, he is from Lakeland, Florida, and I believe a fair amount of the recruiting analysts crystal balled him to Florida initially. So I think it was kind of a surprise that he even ended up at Clemson at all. Um, and when you look at Clemson, uh, with, with Travis Etienne being back, 
uh, for, I mean, he's only going to be there for, for this year, of course, but Lynn J. Dixon, uh, Darian Wrencher, um, there, there's just, there must be either promises not being met by the, by the coaching staff that, that were, that were made to kind of get Bowman to enter the fray, knowing that there was going to be, uh, maybe some, some learning curve his freshman year, maybe a lack of, of serious workload just because of how deep Clemson was at running back. But whatever it is, um, you don't really see Clemson not completely in control of, of whatever it is, you know, like um, them losing a commitment this past uh, recruit or for this current recruit recruiting cycle. That happens very, very rarely. Like I don't think that Dabo Sweeney had lost a commitment since like 2016 or something crazy like mm-hmm. that before um, that happened. And then to see a guy enter the transfer por- portal that, you, you know, it happens to like the, the three three or four star guys that are entering their junior year and they, they've kind of been lapped by the, by the five star blue chip freshman. Like that happens at Clemson on occasion. But, it, you know, we saw it with Chase Bryce. But a guy like Demarcus Bowman, who theoretically would have been a major part of this team, either down the stretch this year or definitely next year, that's kind of a shocker. So he's going to be one of the biggest um, kind of pieces on the board as far as as transfer portal goes. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Florida went hard after him, given the you know the history I just laid out there. But um, yeah, him being a Florida native, I imagine him staying in the Southeast. Um, whether he stays in the ACC or, or jumps to the SEC, we'll, we'll have to to monitor that. But um, I would give Florida the, the inside track right now, and that that's huge for for the Gators if they can get him. Uh, in addition to already like getting uh, Lorenzo Lingard, who was a five star that left Miami last year, so they they seem to be keen on picking up the scraps from other people and, and work in you know the scraps. I mean, five star talents. So that they've done a good job of working that secondary market. Is there a possibility that this is some sort of divine retribution for Travis Etienne needlessly coming back for his senior year? One could argue that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, the Clemson has had it so so good um, that that you know occasionally so- something like this needs to bring them back to reality a little bit. I mean, we, we've seen Alabama have five stars walk out the door as well. And sometimes it works out for, for those players. Sometimes it's a sign that it wasn't going to work out at Alabama yeah. either. So we'll, we'll have to see what happens w- with this kid. I know that he's, he's very, very talented. Um, one of the best running backs in this year's class, uh, him and um, Bijan Robinson at, at Texas, who had that kind of scary, uh, fall during during the game last week. Uh, those were the clear top two running backs in in this class. But um, either way, um, this, that definitely stings Clemson maybe more than they would like to admit. Uh, in better news, Rashad Bateman officially back. I think things were basically trending this way, uh, but we didn't really have any finality uh, until earlier this week. But Minnesota gets back. Probably the best receiver in the Big Ten, one of the best receivers in the entire country, uh, a guy who could very well uh, be a first round pick by the time we get to the 2021 NFL draft. Not good news if you're a Wisconsin Badgers fan. Um, I don't want to name any names, but that's actually not great at all. But for the Big Ten overall, I I think this adds a a little bit more intrigue. Um, You know, having football basically at all is huge. I'll, I'll take any any level of football with any talent level of players playing, but um, for Minnesota, especially a team that I think has finally found some momentum after a couple decades in the dark, um, <laughs> you know, I, I think losing that, that whole 30 year span. of <laughs> Yeah. Well, you know, I, basically the, the moment that Lawrence Maroney 
left Minneapolis. Um, something changed in that program. But having Rashad Bateman back, uh, obviously huge for the Gophers. And I think kind of one way to to continue this this momentum that they built. As much as I absolutely cannot stand anything about P.J. Fleck, and if I was a Minnesota student or a Minnesota fan, I don't know how I would live with myself having to root for that man. Uh, he's developed some good That's receivers. That's how you really feel. He's, he's developed some good receivers. I'll say that. And I, I, as much as I hate Minnesota, I do personally root for Rashad Bateman. Yeah, Bateman's sick. And uh, his his like announcement video that, that he's good to go for oh, – no, for this season, that was awesome. Uh, he definitely used a lot of the the PJ Fleck uh, lingo, talking about keeping his his oar in the water and all that good stuff. So I'm sure you love that. Um, but yeah, I mean this is this is exciting. It's one thing to have Big Ten football back, and it's another to have Big Ten with the requisite oomph that it that it deserves. And um, with R- Rondell Moore opting back in, I, th- I feel like that happened while we were recording last week or it something did. like that. Um, so that happening and then Rashad Bateman following suit. And, and like you said, um, he opted back in, but then you had to get, get a couple things squared away to, to regain that eligibility for this year. Good to go. I'm, I'm glad that there was no hiccups with that. That would have been a ter- another terrible look for the NCAA. So I'm glad there were no headaches there. And yeah, it's really exciting. I mean, how can you not be pumped up about a guy that averaged 20 yards per catch last season over 98 targets? Like that is just preposterous levels of explosiveness. And at 6'2", 210, like definitely legit um, top 50 pick uh, type of NFL talent. We're, we're just so spoiled with these receiver classes in recent years. And and Bateman being a part of this one is no different. And I think that he has a, a chance to bolster his stock um, this year. Now, now that there's no Tyler Johnson, you know, taking up a, a decent amount of the oxygen in this offense, it will be one last thing for Bateman to prove that he can like be that number one uh, with, with when uh, other teams know that he is like clearly the guy and that there isn't really that that one B type of option there. So I'm excited to see how, how that all develops with him. Is he, does he have a case to be like the greatest gopher skill position player of the last like 30 years? I think Eric Decker maybe holds that title for now. I, I would imagine so, man. I mean, he he's might have passed him up already. He, yeah, exactly. Like he's crazy for, for just two years, the, the production that he's had with like 200 targets through the first two years and being as productive as he's been with them. Uh, yeah, he's, He's something else, man. I, I like can't believe that he slipped through the cracks. I mean, he's a he's a Georgia native, I believe, according to our to our database here. So like I don't know how he got out of the South, let alone made it all the way up um to Dinkytown. Yeah, rode his way up the Mississippi River, apparently. Um <laughs> but the bigger news with, with Bateman, uh so he like you said, he did this very well produced video, kind of an I'm back type of thing. Uh in in revealing that he's coming back, also revealed that he is switching to number zero. And I believe this is the first year that players are allowed to wear number zero. Uh, a number of players have already capitalized on this golden opportunity. Uh, I know you you wanted to ask me like my thoughts on it. I think it's awesome. Uh, yes. You know, obviously, it's not allowed in the NFL. I wish it was. Um, as someone who wore number zero uh, at times in high school basketball, not football. Agent um, zero. Did you ever? Did anyone ever? No. Okay. No, I, I was a big fan of Gilbert Arenas, and that was that was part of the deal. Of course. But no, uh, no one called me Agent Zero. I didn't. I didn't ask to be called it. Had someone called me it, would I have deflected it? No. Um, but no one, uh, based on my play, no one felt the need <laughs> to, to call me that at all. Um, I just think zero is a cool number. It's a cool number in basketball. It's arguably even a cooler number in football. I mean, yeah, the, there's such awesome novelty to it. Like, 
I still like number one on the football jersey, yeah. like as far as the the swag meter is concerned. But zero is really really cool, and you, you're seeing a lot of you know big name blue chip type players um, being the ones that that tend to rock number zero. I know like Owen Popo at at um, at Auburn has that, um, and then I showed you this clip earlier this week, and I, I tweeted it out. But um, at Georgia. Their freshman tight end, Darnell Washington, who is literally the size of LeBron James, wearing zero and then just like bug on a windshield wipering a defensive lineman from Arkansas. Something about seeing that while also wearing number zero is like, oh, my God, this is this is very cool. I'm very into it. So I'm, I'm yep. glad that Bateman is also uh, doing it. And he also gave a, a pretty cool like reason as to why he's wearing the, the number zero, too. So uh, I tweeted that video out on my uh on my feed or you can just find Rashad Bateman's feed, but yeah, cool video. You should watch it. Don't go to Rashad Bateman's feed. Go to John's feed. Go to John. Yeah. I need the clicks brother. <laughs> um, what do you think is the worst number? I know you said one is your favorite. I'm with you. I, zero and one are probably one and two for me. What do you think is like the absolute worst number? Because in college football, you know, they, they don't have the same restrictions as the NFL. Like, so regardless of position, like what, what number are you just like, this is gross. Um, 37 well that seemed, okay that seems yeah. like a terrible number um apologies to sean alexander yeah yeah but o- only to an extent I, i'll only apologize so much he really um, embodied the 37 <laughs> you know like it'd be really weird if like saquon barkley was 37 yeah yeah but, like alexander was like a, a worthy 37 much like tyrone wheatley was like of course he's 47 he just looks like a number 47 yeah, that that he does. He is like ineligible for wearing a fast number. He had yeah. to wear forty seven. Right. Absolutely. Um, I don't know what what uh what sticks out to you is it usually numbers in the forties look look pretty yeah. rough in my opinion. Like only Marlon Humphrey makes it look cool at the NFL level. What do you think? Uh, yeah, I, I think the high thirties and the high forties is where you're going to run into the most trouble. You know, um, like I was I was just regaling my roommate who doesn't care about this at all uh, the other the other day that like. I was so disappointed that Minka Fitzpatrick, I think, is like 39, right, with the Steelers. Yeah, one of the uh, just such a cool player. I just can't, I can't take him seriously anymore. You can't, you can't wear number 39 and expect people to think you're cool. Yeah, that's a that's a letdown. Like he's got the cool like, name, he's got like that, right. you know, amazing versatile ability, and then and you come in with Mr. Lunchpail number. I don't, mm-hmm. no, nah, man, come on. Yeah, that's that's like a college punter number. That's a potential like long snapper number. Uh, I just I was puzzled by that one. I, I would love, you know, I've, I've always said um, if, if I were to ever become NFL commissioner, we'll see. I would say that's about 50 50 right now. First thing I would do is eliminate the jersey number thing. And I get it. It's it's supposed to be for like referees and scorers, right, to kind of keep track of who's who. It has never seemed to be a problem at the college level at all. Right. Right. And like the dam is already broken in a sense at the in the NFL. Like, remember. You know, I saw a tweet about this the other day. It's like, remember when receivers just wore numbers in the 80s and anything in the teens was just like that? That guy is like a fringe practice squad type of player. And now, like, who do you think is even the best receiver in the NFL right now that wears a number in the 80s? Like, it's it's really right. tough to find. Right. And and if they if they open the floodgates, all those cool receivers who wear the teen numbers would wear the single digits. Like the teens are the closest they can get, I think, in the NFL to doing that. I, I wish in college football we would see more just off the wall numbers. You know, like Luka Doncic came into the NBA wearing 77. Yeah. And it was weird at first, but now nobody thinks anything of it. It's just like, all right, he's he's so good, it doesn't matter. Like I would love for Trevor Lawrence to announce that he's switching to like 74 this year. <laughs> it's just totally off the wall. Orlando or, Pace. 
Yeah, yeah, right. He grew up idolizing Orlando Pace. <laughs> Jalen Waddle announces he's going to wear, I don't know, 49. I, just, I would just like to see a little more of that. Didn't uh, Calvin I, Johnson wear 21 in college? I believe he did, yes. Yeah, he was. So, that was, yeah. I remember thinking that was weird. All for all for the chaos with, with the numbers. I, I'm here yeah. for it. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, last news item. Joey Gatewood, uh, former Auburn quarterback. Uh, speaking of transfers, uh, talked about DeMarcus Bowman earlier. He is now immediately eligible at the University of Kentucky. Uh, is this a job that that he can potentially walk directly into in the next week or two? I, I think that Kentucky has it in place to to stick with, with Terry Wilson. I think Terry Wilson is a fine quarterback. I think he's limited, but he is a senior. He's given a lot to the program. He led them to that great season in 2018, um, had that really tough, gruesome, unfortunate injury that, that knocked him out um, after just the second week last year. And he you know, busted his butt to, to get back to this point. So I would be shocked barring like Kentucky losing like each of his next four or five games to where um, Mark Stoops really considers that change. But that noise is going to get louder with each mounting loss for Kentucky if that ends up being the case, because Joey Gatewood, an extremely talented player, um, he he made a brief appearance in Auburn's bowl game a couple seasons ago, and I'm like, this guy kind of looks like Cam Newton. Like he and I, famous, you know, I'm I'm holding the L for it now, but I, I thought there was a very good chance that he was going to beat out Bo Nix for the starting job last year, uh, and I blame nepotism for that one. I think Joey Gatewood could be better than Bo Nix. Uh, half joking on that, um, but yeah, Gatewood. I mean, six four, two twenty one, just like a. a athletic marvel um really really strong arm really really athletic so he can do all the things that kentucky wants to do or basically any college offense wants to do um i wouldn't be surprised if if they like get some packages in there for him because they did work really hard to get him eligible this year and getting him on the field you know it, it can work um i don't think that terry wilson is like super egotistical guy that, that's going to get all, all huffy about it so i think that we we could start to see him on the field but i don't necessarily see Gatewood taking the job from Wilson unless he really plays his way out of the job all right let's look back at some of the top games from week four easily the best week of the college football season so far we we have a solid we have a solid week five I don't know that week five compares to week four in terms of just the total amount of games that you want to sit down and watch I mean, that's that's fair. Um, that, that this is a this is a good but not but not great slate. Uh, I'll I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. Um, we also don't have like the novelty of this being the first SEC weekend. Um, but yeah, I mean, g- going back, uh, looking at week four, we had so many good matchups, and a lot of them lived up to the billing. And some of them, you know, uh, I think we got to dive in here. Uh, one that went way different than, than what Vegas thought and what we expected, especially given how surgical um, Oklahoma looked in, in its season opener that was played on like only fans or something. Um, but the, the stats from that, it looked like they were just playing on, on freshman mode on, on, on NCAA. And it's like, okay, they're four touchdown favorites against K state K state just lost to Arkansas state. Like this should be, this should be good to go for the Sooners. And they found a way to, to lose in pretty incredible fashion, um, they they got outscored by 31 to 14 in, in the second half. They just didn't seem to have an answer for that K-State offense, and they, they kept sputtering uh, when the, when the chips were down, and, and it mattered a lot. So this it just feels like oh, the more things change with Oklahoma, the more things stay the same. Like that, they are always going to have that 
electric dynamic passing game and electric offense, but they will also just find a way to, to slip up against someone that they shouldn't. And sometimes it's twice in a row against Kansas state. Yeah. I mean, the Oklahoma offense for the most part did its job in this game. I mean, Spencer Rattler threw three picks. That was yep. the ultimate downfall. Um, but still, I mean, I, I think you would like to think that 35 points at home is still enough against Kansas state. Uh, obviously Oklahoma is used to scoring maybe 10 to 15 more than that on, on most weeks, but I mean, what, on a day when the offense isn't fully clicking, you know, to, to give up 38, I, I think that that's, what's extremely concerning. And I did like what in the name of Colin Klein got into this Kansas state offense, or is it kind of the same issues that we've seen for most of the last decade with Oklahoma and, you know, the issues that end up kind of befalling them, whether it's a, the, the one game that they always seem to trip up during the big 12 season or ultimately when they get to the playoff and, and usually get smacked around in the first game, like what, what do they have to do to improve the defense? It, it does feel like the last few years, especially they've kind of maxed out on offense. And at the end of the day, it just hasn't been enough. Exactly. Yeah. So the, the defense will, will be a problem until it's not. And at this stage, the way that the sec recruits along the trenches, I mean, Oklahoma has it figured out as far as the offensive line is concerned, but they need to, and they had a couple of guys off their defense get drafted this past year with Kenneth Murray and Neville Gallimore, um, and I think a couple of their their secondary players as well, but they just need, they need to start getting some serious wins over SEC teams on the recruiting trail for defensive players, and it, it's a really, really tough sell for them because it, it's like, man, they, they just, for whatever reason it is, that those defenses just never seem to gel. So I, I want to give some credit to Kansas State. I think Skylar Thompson is a better player than he showed against Arkansas State. And then we got a uh, cool name alert and cool guy alert. Um, I'm not saying this guy is Darren Sproles, but we got a guy named du- we got a guy named Deuce Vaughn who's mm-hmm. five foot five and like 170, and he absolutely <clears throat> went ham against Oklahoma. That. They they could not handle the deuce. They they had no answer for the deuce. Oklahoma's defense gave up two pass plays of over 75 yards, one to the deuce and one to Keon Mosey, which is another very strong name. Yes. That, that's been the issue for Oklahoma. I don't know. I mean, this is a this is a tough one. And usually usually for Oklahoma, it doesn't happen this early. Um, you know, I, I guess maybe now they have some time to to make up for it. But uh, like like you said, I mean, considering the loss last week to Arkansas State for K-State, this one uh, stings especially badly. Uh, Alabama, we'll just go over this one quickly. Sure. Uh, they, they win at Missouri 38-19. This is just such a classic Alabama game where it was a thorough domination by Alabama. You know, 13 of Missouri's 19 points come late in the fourth quarter. Uh, the, the, you know, the scoreboard makes it look certainly closer than it was. Uh, we did get to see a little bit of Bryce Young off the bench behind Mac Jones in this game. Um, you know, no, no crazy stat lines anywhere. Jalen Waddell, uh, clearly the number one guy alongside Devonte Smith, uh, this year in the receiving core, uh, he's going to be, uh, absolutely electric. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just another like classic Najee Harris game, 17 for 98, three touchdowns, didn't have a run over 20 yards. Um, I mean, it, again, not as, not a super impressive end of game result for Alabama, but, um, a, a pretty impressive game. If you, if you watch this one down in and down out. Yeah, you if you're a Bama fan, like no complaints there. Um, you know, you got Bryce Young so, some live reps uh, once you put the game out of out of question. 
Um, Waddle and Smith seem to be just as plugged in as they were a year ago. I guess the question will be, can they find that number three option or can, you know, God forbid they just get by on, on only Jalen Waddle and, and Devonte Smith yeah. and Najee Harris, you know, tough times. Um, but yeah, it, it looks like this is, this is another Alabama team that is going to compete for a title. I know that they lost a ton of players, just like they lose a ton of players every year. Um, I don't think that there should be any concerns about this Alabama team. And especially when you look across the rest of the SEC, we may, you know, maybe Florida is the, the team that'll end up, you know, being the, the scary one for them. They don't have to play them in the regular season. They have to play Georgia and that's at home. So I think Bama, you know, given the way that LSU played, given the way that A&M played and the way that they're going to dominate A&M this weekend, it's like, I mean, what's really going to stop Alabama between that now and uh, SEC championship Saturday? If it's going to be anybody, I think it's the dogs. I think you said it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's their toughest game on the schedule and they do get them at home. But, you know, last year it was LSU that tripped up Alabama. Um, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll get to that game shortly. But uh, that one doesn't look like it's going to be nearly as tough this time around. Um, but l- first, let's let's go right to the dogs. The red pants uh, last Saturday. An incredible sharp, look. Huh? Uh, did not help in the first half. Uh, no. The dogs came out uh, a little bit slowly. Like I said, at the top, 7-5 to five in favor of Arkansas at the half. But 22 points in the third quarter. Uh, tacked on another 10. So 32 second half points for Georgia. You know, in terms of the the result, like they they beat Arkansas by more than Alabama beat Missouri. Didn't really seem quite as impressive start to finish. Um, but you have to be encouraged at least by what you saw in the second half. I'm encouraged, but I don't know what to take from it necessarily because, okay, so the game starts. Obviously, JT Daniels not cleared for this game. So Georgia, relative to where they were going into spring practice whereas jamie knew or going into into let's let's call it fall camp where dwan mathis was at best the number three quarterback in the rotation um to having jamie newman opt out and then you have jt daniels not quite ready for for game action and then you got to get two quarterbacks ready for game action between dwan mathis and stetson bennett but you're hoping that dwan mathis is going to be the guy given his recruiting pedigree um and and again with, with probably a little bit more live reps with the ones that then a, a walk on like stetson bennett is getting for for that all to come to it, its head against again the worst team in the sec by by pretty much any metric last year, uh, Arkansas, they look a little bit better, and they, they obviously they played hard. They they were there to win, and you know Sam Pittman, former Georgia offensive line coach, and and all that. So they they came out and played well, but this shouldn't have been the struggles that that Georgia had, and and you can only excuse it being the third string quarterback so much when your third string quarterback is also like this extremely talented, mobile, six foot six quarterback like Dwan Mathis and he could not even handle a snap from center I mean it was it was embarrassing out there for a while and and there were times in the first half where I thought that certain things happened during a college football upset were starting to happen and I was like man it wouldn't it wouldn't completely shock me if Georgia just never really gets it in gear and Arkansas just finds a way to win this one in extremely ugly fashion obviously didn't play out that way but I don't know what to take from it necessarily because, it, again, Stetson Bennett comes in, plays well, just kind of like 
operates the offense. He didn't do anything spectacular, but Pro Football Focus graded him as I think the best player on Georgia this past weekend. So he, you know, especially for a walk-on, like pretty amazing story to deliver a win on the road in your first real SEC action. But does that work against Auburn starting this week? I don't know. What does JT Daniels look like this week against Auburn? I don't know, given how long it, it took for him to get that medical clearance. How is he going to react to live reps? I just, it's hard to say. All I can, all I know that you can take away from this on the Georgia side is, is A, the defense is just as good as advertised. The defense will keep them in most games this year. But B, I think that the run game and the offensive line, the things that can help uh, cover over your quarterback deficiency, those aren't really where they need to be either. For whatever reason, Georgia's recruited running back and offensive line very well in terms of what the stars look like and everything. But on the field, it didn't really look that good last week. I didn't think James Cook looked very good. I didn't think Zamir White looked good until way later in the game. Kenny McIntosh didn't get enough work. So this is kind of, this is, I don't feel great about the way that this Georgia offense looks. And, you know, it could change. JT Daniels, super talented, but ugh. Not a great feeling. Not a great feeling for for your your pal here, John. I think they'll get it turned around. I think I think having a real quarterback in place, uh, you know, even if it takes Daniels a week or two uh, to to kind of get his bearings, I, I think that's going to go a long way. Um, but certainly a, a scary first half. That was I went and played some golf on Saturday afternoon for for a couple hours, and that was one uh, where I had to like refresh the ESPN app a couple of times to make sure that that was not somehow like a baseball score that was inserted into the Georgia game. I was I was probably sending you some some pretty like over dramatic snaps during that as well. <laughs> oh man, returning your diploma, yeah, it was that was a little much. I thought um, Florida, on the other hand, looked very good offensively uh, against Ole Miss. Fifty-one thirty-five was the final there. Uh, a lot of long plays in this one uh, for both sides. Uh, that that, that kind of kept Ole Miss in the game, maybe a little longer uh, than they should have, but. I mean, the passing game for Florida, this was not not a great defensive performance for Ole Miss. I'm not afraid to say that. Uh, sure. but Kyle Trask finished 30 of 42, over 400 yards, six touchdowns, no picks, QBR north of 90. Um, and then Kyle Pitts, who is one of, if not the best tight end in college football. Um, he's, he's one of those tight ends that, like, he, he really could pass as a receiver. You know, like, he's he's huge, but at the same time, he's not huge, if that makes sense. Like, he he almost looks more like a receiver to me. Um, but he has the physicality and, and you know, basically everything you'd want from a tight end and most of the traits that you'd want from a receiver. He has eight catches, 170, four touchdowns, uh, the longest of which was 71 yards. Yeah, man. He like he's just different. Uh, like he he's kind of like Darren Waller or something yeah. like he, he's not quite as uh, filled out as Darren Waller is in his current state, but. Yeah, but like Pitts, like 6'6", 240 with, with like that move, that level of movement skills, especially when Florida was replacing their top three receivers from, from last year, like Freddie Swain um, and, and Van Jefferson being gone and, and one other guy who I'm forgetting, but was was also, you know, a major part of that offense. I knew that that Kyle Pitts would be option 1A for for Florida, but man, I didn't know that it would be quite like this. And, and the other Florida receivers played well, too. I mean, that they... they combined for a couple of touchdowns uh from Kyle Pitts but or I'm sorry from Kyle Trask but it just it looks like it's going to be the Pitts show I don't know if there's any one player that can really you know like what do you do your your linebackers aren't going to be fast enough to keep up with them and your safeties more often than not aren't going to be able to bring the thump to to a guy 
that size that's moving as fast as he is. So I don't know what you do to kind of keep a lid on Kyle Pitts, but that's going to be the challenge of every SEC defensive coordinator uh, for the rest of the season. I don't think that he'll score four touchdowns every week, but uh, prove me wrong, man. I mean, it's it's just crazy. Yeah, I believe it when I see it. How, yeah, exactly. Like he's just so so ridiculous, and the connection with him and and uh, Trask seems to be extremely legit. So this Florida offense looks pretty pretty scary here. I mean, that you know, if you're if you're talking about like Dan Mullen track records, I mean, this is this is him with like you know late stage Dak Prescott or something, but like with with much better weapons. It, it's pretty nuts to think about what this Florida offense can end up being. All right, let's hit a couple more before we turn to week five. Uh, we mentioned Florida State, Miami at the top. I mean, this was just such a beatdown. Um, like we said, 52 to 10. Do you have any parting thoughts from this game or do you just want to move on? Uh, I don't have a ton to add. Um, I, I still think that Florida needs to, or I'm sorry, that, that Miami needs to find uh, some some answers at, at the receiver position, but their run game is legit. Their offensive line better than I expected. Derek King, uh, got, has things rolling, but yeah, Cam, Cameron Harris, uh, Don Chaney, Jalen Knighton. That's like just a scary run game for, for teams to contend with. So, so Miami, uh, with that is going to be uh, very, very tough for ACC schools to deal with the rest of the year. And other than that, Florida state, um, pretty much dead and buried for me. Auburn over Kentucky, uh, Texas A&M 17 to 12 over Vanderbilt uh, A&M you know top 10 team we'll, we'll see how they fare uh, against Alabama this week I think they could be in for a rude awakening uh, but let's end on Mississippi State and LSU a game that that early on kind of got away from LSU and you know you kind of just kept waiting and waiting for, for them to get a stop or for them to just for the momentum essentially to swing in any way back toward LSU and all of a sudden, it's midway through the fourth quarter, and it was clear that that just was not going to happen. Uh, the biggest takeaway for me is a, kind of an obvious one, that LSU lost a lot of guys. And I don't even know that like having Jamar Chase would have mattered. I think it's more of just the amount of players that they lost from that defense carrying over to this year. Um, I mean, offensively, 34 points, maybe a little bit underwhelming. Two picks for Miles Brennan. That was disappointing. Um, they didn't run the ball all that well. You know, just barely over two yards per carry. And, and part of that is... Uh, Brennan took a, a lot of sack yardage, but mm -hmm. nonetheless, uh, a disappointing start, uh, of course, for LSU. But defensively, um, you know, I mean, you, you kind of know what you, you should at least know what you're getting when you go up against a, a Mike Leach team. And this LSU defense, which we should note, did not have Derek Stingley in, right. he's in the hospital uh, due to illness. That's one where you say with Stingley, you know, maybe this is a little different. Like if there's one game on the entire schedule you want him for, it's probably this one. But not having Derek Stingley for a program that recruits like LSU doesn't mean you should go from shutting down Mississippi State to all of a sudden allowing three guys to go over 120 yards receiving. Right. And one of them being a running back, too. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that this this clues us in on a couple of things. I think it tells us that this year could just be one giant refractory period for LSU given how amazing last year was, it's just going to be hard to get anywhere close to it. I, I don't think it's going to be as disastrous as like Auburn in the year or two after uh, the Cam Newton championship run. But I think it could be similar. I think that six and four might happen to LSU this year. I think that, uh, again, they're, they're talented, but there's 
there might be something off there. I mean, losing that game to, to Mississippi State has to be a bit of a reality check for LSU. And if you're an LSU fan, you don't really care in the in the grand scheme. It's like, okay, we we had last year. So it's it's that'll carry you for a while. But I think that this could quietly be a bit of a disappointing year for LSU. And I, I think you brought up a key point with, with the lack of, of uh, run game there as well. But they got some they got some crazy pieces. Obviously, Terrace Marshall's really good. Arik Gilbert, the the freshman tight end, scored a touchdown in that one. He looks legit. Um, getting Derek Stingley back is gonna is gonna bolster that defense. Elias Ricks, uh, their freshman cornerback, obviously didn't go well for him. But you know this is this is a situation where you're getting live bullets for your freshman uh, corner right away. So soon enough, he'll start to turn into a player. But then on the other side, I mean, did you expect it to? be quite like this for for miss state i mean going into death no, valley i mean no. that was insane right i mean this is as a mike leach guy like this is kind of what i hoped would happen but no this this was like even well beyond i mean if if you had said like yeah they they kept it close and you know it, costello had a big day and, and they lost by 10 you'd be like all right that that actually sounds pretty good yeah uh on the contrary they set the sec passing record in mike leach's first game against the defending champions yeah just remarkable like i don't know how costello was was priced below 6k on DraftKings last week um i guess the the question was okay the system is the system the system is going to be putting the ball in the air a ton but is the the mix of Costello with this weird offseason um, combined with kind of middling to to good ish um, offensive weapons uh, with with Peyton uh, the Alabama transfer Shavers and then of course Osiris Mitchell Osiris Mitchell really uh, looks like he's going to be taking that next step this year. Um, I guess there there were just questions about what what it all would look like, but this is a system that can elevate mediocre talent and when you have good to very good talent when you're when you're letting mike leach cook with sec ingredients the end result as it stands could be crazy it could be something that really drives defensive coordinators across the sec nuts i I think that now it's gone from hmm i wonder what that game's going to look like to like uh defensive coordinators like already looking ahead and probably having like night sweats about it because it (laughs) it looks like it's going to be a handful to deal with all season long so i'm looking at the sec single game yardage record um uh, an ap writer jeffrey collins tweeted it out there are some names on this list i mean this is elite company we're talking uh eric zierer uh from georgia back in three eric zier tyler bray at tennessee is on the list jared lorenzen rohan davy peyton manning kenny hill i mean this is this is elite company this is a list that you want to be on if you're a quarterback man kenny trill any trill i still very, i'll never forget that forgot south carolina it. game never yeah, that was the one 511 yards for kenny trill in that game 44 of 60 it, at that point it, you know it was like man, is a&m ever gonna have like a non-heisman quarterback like this is <laughs> <laughs> uh the answer was uh uh you know it didn't last that long but oh, for that for a brief moment kenny trill was a thing and it, it was glorious uh, whatever happened to kenny hill after that like, could you refresh me on just his like path? So, uh, Sumlin basically got too much talent at quarterback, and everyone got mad and left. Yep. So, um, hey, when he, that happens, he recruited Kyler Murray and Kyle Allen, both of them, you know, like five star guys, and and yep. Kyler Murray was like the, you know, the godsend, of course, among recruits. Um, also had Tate Martell um, on, 
you know, committed to to Texas Tech for a long time or Texas A&M for a long time as well. So that log jam, it ended up with some bruised egos and it kind of like became this cautionary tale for like how you balance out quarterback talent on your roster, because if you have too much people are going to start to leave and then you're going to, you know, be left between like the, the cat, the, the gap between your like five-star quarterback and then like you, your walk-ons that you just kind of like fill out your, your like roster with. So, um, yeah, that was, it was kind of crazy how it all shook out at, at Texas A&M. Really, really interesting. And then Kenny Hill just kind of like ended up at, at TCU and was fine, but he was never Kenny Trill again. That, that, that I think, uh, we as Americans were robbed of. Uh, I think that we deserved a little bit more of the Kenny Trill era than we got. Oh, we most certainly did. And I mean, as you know, as a, as a Wisconsin guy, I mean, I know all about, you know, that situation where you have one too many star quarterbacks mm-hmm. on the depth chart and you got to parse through it. It's, it's not easy. I mean, that's, that's what led to the demise of Daniel Bryan. Amen. That was tough. All right, let's look to week five. Um, like I said, a, another very good slate. I, I would give this one like a, like a seven out of 10. Last week was maybe like a nine out of 10, given mm-hmm. the circumstances. Um, obviously, we're, we're inching closer and closer to the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, uh, Big Ten joining the ranks. And once we get to late October, things are going to be kicked into overdrive. It's going to be a possible 10 out of 10 weeks, week in and week out. Um, but another great SEC slate, uh, A&M, Alabama, that's the 230 CBS game. Um, a couple of good late games as well. Auburn, Georgia, uh, the clear headliner, that's going to be on ESPN at 630. Um, that Oklahoma, Iowa State gets the ABC slot. I mean, on paper, maybe not the most intriguing game, but uh, I think that one's going to be uh, a game that has a lot of eyes. Clemson active again this week uh, should be a, a pretty easy pushover game against Virginia. Yep. We got LSU, Vanderbilt. Uh, a lot of directions to go this week when you look at just those top 25 games. Uh, but let's look at it as we always do from a DFS perspective. 13 games this week on the main slate. Yeah, it's a, it's a it's absolutely jam packed here, friend. I'm I'm very excited. There's a there's a lot of fun. Like last week, it was a great slate, of course, but there were just like some really strange matchups uh, interspersed without it or uh, throughout it. But this week, I feel like there there are pieces of like almost any given game that you could get you could like talk yourself into. There there's that good of an offering here, so that I'm I'm really excited about this one. Well, let's move to the quarterback position. Uh, Shane Bichelle and Sam Ellinger, uh, SMU and Texas, respectively, sit at the top of the pricing list on DraftKings this week. Kyle Trask is up there north of 8,000. You got Sam Howell right at 8,000. Uh, those are the four guys uh, that that break that $8,000 barrier. Um, oh, excuse me. I actually don't have it sorted correctly. Brady White at Memphis as well at 8,200. So we have five guys north of 8,000 this week. Uh, are you starting your lineups with any of those five? Yes. So, um, I, I definitely, I, I value Ellinger a little bit higher than, than Bouchelle this week. Um, and fitting them both into your lineups, um, uh, it gives your lineup great narrative power given that they were both on Texas back in 2017. Uh, but does it give your lineup enough uh, flexibility the rest of of the way you really really need to scrimp and save with the rest of your lineup in order to to jam that in and make that fit let alone getting receivers from from both of those guys so it'll be tough to navigate i think that i i will mostly have like one of those two quarterbacks and then paired with a quarterback a little bit further down the board although i will be interested in doing uh, game stacks with either ellinger uh, ellinger versus max dugan uh, looks like he's gonna 
he's back to being the guy for TCU. Came on in relief of Matthew Downing last week for for the Horn Frogs, and and kind of you know got things back in gear for them. And then with Bouchel, maybe you could do a Bouchel versus versus Brady White game as well. I'm I'm the, this Memphis team is very very interesting because they haven't played since week like one uh, against Arkansas State. So they've basically been idle for a month or close to it. Um, whereas SMU has been playing regularly and, and, you know, they're really, really humming along. So there's a, there's a huge like rest versus rust, uh, narrative for, for that game. I, I think there's going to be a ton of points on both sides, but, um, that's, that's going to be tough for Memphis to, to contend with just the fact that SMU has been, been rolling of late and they've been, uh, Memphis has just like had a couple of tough breaks with, with buys and cancellations. Yeah, by far the highest over-under on the slate. Uh, like you mentioned, SMU-Memphis, that one's at 74 points. Uh, that's a 10-point gap before you get down to Texas Tech and K-State at 64 points. Uh, at the running back position, Najee Harris, uh, unsurprisingly, at the top, going up against that Texas A&M defense spread in that game. Alabama favored by 16.5, over-under of 52.5. Uh, rounding out the top five, you have Chuba Hubbard, Garrett Dokes, at Cincinnati, TJ McDaniel at SMU, and Letty Brown at West Virginia. What direction are you looking uh, with the running back stable this week? So I I think that Najee Harris will be fine. It's just like sinking 9K into into him and maybe like his less than maximum outcome situation. Um, I think that AM's defense will be like tough enough against the run to to where like Harris has a very good day, but but it'll be maybe a little bit similar to what we saw against Missouri. So good but but we're swinging for like maximum upside here um and obviously that that's a weird lead in for me to talk about Chuba Hubbard because of how poor he's looked to this point this season he's 8900 so second highest priced running back on the board terrible start to the year he like where he where he is yardage and touchdown wise thus far this season um he had eight games last year where he either had that same amount of yard same amount of yardage or more or two or more touchdowns eight times last year. So we, we are well off the pace for, from a year ago when it comes to Hubbard, mm-hmm. but a matchup against Kansas might be what, what kind of gets him in gear. Um, so what we'll see what, what ends up go, if Oklahoma state can really find their, find their way and get back into gear. I think Kansas presents a pretty nice opportunity to do that, uh, we still need to see if Spencer Sanders is going to be ready to go. If he's not, then Chuba Hubbard might even be more important of a, of a piece of this offense for Oklahoma State. But I also want to want to point out his backup, L.D. Brown, not Letty Brown. Just mm. So important, important distinction there. Uh, he's run really well. I think he's over eight yards a carry um, over his 20 rushes to start the year. He he saw 11 rushes last weekend. Has looked fairly explosive. So it looks like even though Chuba is not like at, at risk of, of losing any playing time to LD Brown, I think that there's a, a very real chance that LD Brown at 4K um, is one of the better values on the board just because of um, because of the way that this offense is going to run. So Hubbard should get his, um, and I think the 8,900 price tag is going to be something where if you invested in him in the first two weeks of the season, maybe you're sick of him at this point. Maybe you're just off of him. Uh, so I think that we're going to see one of the lowest roster percentages for Hubbard that we'll see um, this entire season this week. And I think if I'm if I'm right here, Chuba should get in gear against Kansas and end up hitting value is what I'm saying. And then Cincinnati has kind of a similar 
um, set up, both in terms of their lead running back and in his relation to the backup and the really nice plus matchup. So Cincinnati gets to play Central Florida, or I'm sorry, South Florida. South Florida has far and away the worst run defense of, of any team on this board. Um, they they are just miserable uh, by my estimation. They're, they've given up uh, 240 uh, rushing yards per game so far. They're giving up over three uh, rushing touchdown or three rushing touchdowns per game. That's that's just something that Cincinnati is going to take advantage of. And I know that Garrett Dokes has had some some weak rushing lines to to start the season, but I think going up against South Florida will will kind of fix that. And Dokes has also been really involved in the passing game, so I like him a lot. But also his backup, Jerome Ford, thirty nine hundred. He's another guy that um, is starting to see a little bit more carries, similar to L.D. Brown, and it has been pretty explosive. Jerome Ford is also not your typical Cincinnati backup running back. He was committed to, to Alabama, transferred to, to Cincinnati, so he's that level of prospect. So I think that him versus this South Florida defense, I think you only probably need like nine carries out of him for him to, to reach the value that you need. So I like him a lot. And then at running back, uh, rounding it out as far as like the, the big guys that we need to talk about. Ulysses Bentley is like the key to this slate. Um, and he, he would be, anyway, he, might be he might be the key to life in general. Right. I mean, just a guy coming out named Ulysses Bentley, the fourth, like it was, he transported from, a, from another time. I don't know, it's, but it's just either not way, he's here to save our DFS lineups. He's 5,900, and I can't for the life of me tell if it's a trap or not because he has seven touchdowns. That leads the nation. He's averaging over 10 yards a carry. That is ridiculous uh, over like a legitimately like large sample here because SMU has played multiple games, and he's been active in them. So TJ McDaniel has more carries, but Ulysses Bentley – Averaging over 10 yards a carry on 36 carries is like preposterous. And again, with Memphis having not played in a while, the, the rust could get knocked off by Ulysses Bentley himself. So 5,900. I think the the real question here is is how to use him in tournaments. You might want to diversify your exposure. Um, it's going to be hard to stay away from him because of the the implied upside and the and the price tag of 5,900. Maybe, you know, cover your cover yourself a little bit and don't have him in every single lineup because the ownership percentage is going to be really high. And if he does end up being a bust, then you can really help separate yourself from the field that way. But as it stands for like cash games, I think you got to lock him in. And I think in like probably like 60 percent of your of your tournament lineups, at least you're going to want Bentley going. Yeah, I mean, I, I assume at this point, DraftKings just has like a, a Bentley slot where you have to start someone named Ulysses Bentley, and he's mm -hmm. probably the only choice. Y yes, yeah, they, they've actually been working on that for a while now, so I'm pleased to mm -hmm. see it like actually in action. All right, at the receiver position, I feel like for as long as we've been doing this podcast, we always start by saying like, all right, we have seven superstar Alabama receivers. You have to pick two for this week. Is it a Jalen Waddle week or is it a Devontae Smith week for you? I think with the with the difference in salary, I might lean Devontae Smith and also Waddle got his last week and that doesn't mean that that Smith is due or or vice versa, but I just think that um we we have a a really good situation here with, between Waddle and Smith. I mean, they're both going to see double digit targets. I think the beauty of the Alabama offense this year versus years the last year specifically 
where it was it was really like whack-a-mole trying to guess when it was going to be the Judy week, when it was going to be the Devontae Smith week, when it was going to be Ruggs, uh, or when it was going to be Waddle. Now, now the answer can be both on a given week. And, it, and again, Smith, I think, had more targets than, than Waddle did. He had 12 to, to Waddle's 10. Uh, so that, that's worth noting for PPR. Um, more people will be maybe geared towards Waddle, but Smith, I think, is going to have a great week as well. So it should be both. I think that this is an easier offense to figure out for DFS purposes this week or this year than it was um, when they had four studs. So just two. A lot easier to figure out. I like them both, but um, I'll probably have a little bit more Smith this week. I would, I would think. So I assume you'd be targeting, you know, some of those games that we talked about with the with the totals north of sixty. You know, one game even into the seventies. Um, you know, if you're targeting that that SMU Memphis game, or uh, you know, even TCU Texas as an over under sixty two and a half. Any receivers from those games? Yes. So parsing out the SMU receivers is going to be interesting as well, because uh, you have Reggie Roberson at 8,100, and he has the the highest target share on the team uh, at 80, or uh, sorry, at 25% of the target share. Uh, Rasheed Rice at 5,900 um, has 19% of the target share. So that that's definitely viable as well. Danny Gray, uh, probably the most explosive of this group, um, but has the least volume so he might be the most like gpp um only type of candidate fr- from this group but I, I think all three of them are legit i think i'll have shares of of all three might do one like super stack uh with, with them uh maybe like a roberson and danny gray just because it, it's easier to jam that in um but either way uh i like the setup for for these smu receivers i probably won't have them in the same lineup that i that i'm having uh my bentley um Bentley exposure to, but I, I do like these guys. I like the matchup a lot for them. I think that Arkansas State was able to to do some decent work when they weren't being goofy with their quarterback rotation um, against Memphis earlier this season. Uh, Memphis, of course, has a lot of tape on SMU. SMU doesn't have as much tape on Memphis, but still, I, I don't think that this is a passing game that's going anywhere so, or that you know is going to fall apart anytime soon. So I like all of those SMU receivers. The Texas guys, um, Jake Smith, I believe, is going to be back this week. He was coming into the year my highest projected Texas receiver. Now it's obviously Joshua Moore and, and Brennan Schoolers having a really strong start to his year as well. Brennan Eagles is going to be starting again this week too. But Jake Smith might be the the key here for the for these Texas receivers because he hasn't played yet this year because of uh, he's had a hamstring. And if he's full go and he's just fifty five hundred, like that he could really really smash value at the at that at that price like fifty fifty five hundred for a guy that I think if he had two games of sample the way that we do for for Josh Moore on Texas like he would be north of 7k I, I would imagine so I, I like Jake Smith a lot keep an eye on him 5500 is more than reasonable almost, almost like too reasonable it's like too exciting so uh, I like him a lot uh, among these um, among those Texas guys and I'm a little bit interested in on the other side of that Texas game uh, JD Spielman is only 3600 we know how talented he is he hasn't really gotten into the mix for for TCU just yet um, only two catches that first week but he also had it had a carry I think that we start to see his role um, start to tick up starting this week against Texas when, when TCU has already lost a game and they have Max Dugan back there as opposed to Matthew Downing at quarterback so Spielman, really, really interesting at, at thirty six hundred. I'm I'm a little bit surprised at, at the salary there. So that those are those are the guys that that I like from from that game. 
Um, otherwise, quickly, um, Elijah Moore, 6,900. That dude is insane, and he got kind of overshadowed um, by the rest of like the Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts show for Ole Miss last year, for Florida last week. But on the other side of that game, Elijah Moore was absolutely feasting against those Florida corners. I think he's going to do it again. I think he's going to see a ton of targets. Um, he's going up against Kentucky. I don't know if Kentucky really has anyone that's going to be able to stop him. Moore had 40% of Ole Miss's targets, and they were throwing it a, a fair amount. So he caught 10 of those 13 targets for 227. Uh, that's wild. Um, so he's less than 7K. If that interests you, it should. Um, otherwise, Virginia Tech, um, James Mitchell, I know that tight ends aren't really the way that we tend to go for, for DFS, but you know, between Kyle Pitts and then you have uh, James Mitchell is a, is a really, really interesting player, and he's he's fairly cheap over on DraftKings, so I think that you need to keep an eye on him. Uh, Sean, Sean Dykes, uh, the guy from, from Memphis, seems to be that number two target other than DeMonte Coxie. Um, and again, circling back to James Mitchell, three catches for 68 and a touchdown last week. That's pretty explosive uh, when you're talking about a tight end. So he's got it going on. He's only 4,400. Um, and then if you want to get a little bit more exposure to the Ole Miss passing game, Kenny Yeboa, uh, the tight end transfer from Temple, he looks like he's going to be a staple in this offense. Um, I think that He's been a little bit flying under the radar, and he's checking in at 4K. I like him a fair bit. And then I wish I liked the line, or I'm sorry, the, the matchup a little bit better for Boston College this week, but Hunter Long has been a major factor of that Boston College passing game. He's probably like the top target to have among these BC guys. Zay Flowers a little bit more explosive, but Hunter Long is good uh, he's really really putting up strong numbers and he's getting a lot of targets and i think that's really really important to note when you're playing in a full ppr format so he's 5k i imagine that roster percentage is going to be under 10 percent um if phil Dracovic can really get things going for for the boston college passing game it's going to be through hunter long i think so those are the guys that, that i like a fair bit and then uh shy smith uh, he just has a ton of targets coming his way for South Carolina. And if Florida's defense is as bad as it showed to be last week, then this should be a good spot for him. And I don't think that he has like the highest ceiling in the world, but um, a pretty nice floor with, with the, all of those targets as well. So that, that's my read on the pass catchers. Yeah. 20 targets for Hunter long over these first two weeks, you know, not the greatest opponents in Duke and Texas state, but still, uh, I like that call a lot. Um, anything else from, from any other positions you want to get to before we go all name for week five? Um, let's see here. Uh, Treston Ebner, uh, 6,500 for Baylor had, I think two kick returns for touchdowns last week. So that's crazy explosiveness. Plus he catches the ball out of the backfield. Um, so I like him a, a fair bit as well. That, that will probably be the main guy that I'm geared towards, um, for the, for that Baylor West Virginia game. I'm not sure how much other exposure I'll be getting, um, in that one. Um, and then, yeah, I think, I think that's, that pretty much, uh, covers it for me as far as the, the, uh, the skill guys go. And then one other like cheap TCU guy, this is tournament only. If you need a min price guy who might have a pulse, Zach Evans, five-star freshman had that crazy recruitment, uh, trajectory was, you know, offered by like every big school committed to at various points, different uh, power five programs signed his letter of intent to go to Georgia. Did not, that did not end up working out. He ended up at TCU. I think he's the first five-star recruit in program history for the Horn Frogs. Didn't get on the field last week from what I could tell. Um, but he's supposed to be, um, 
a little bit back in the fold. He he had to miss a month of camp, so he wasn't quite ready to rock last week. If he's ready to go this week, so that, that might be something where you have to follow along the TCU beat reporters going into kickoff to see if he's like suited up and, and working with the ones or anything like that. But if he is, 3,100, crazy talented, going up against Texas, uh, who can be run on a little bit. Um, I think that that's, that would be interesting. All right, John. Week five, all-name team. This is one of our better uh, better all-around groups. I think I was a little nervous. Like I, I think we might have to take the next few weeks off because we don't want to double down on anybody. And right. by now, basically everyone has played. So it's getting a, like harder and harder each week. Yeah, to, we can table this until Big Ten season. Yeah, right. I think once Big Ten and, and uh, Pac-12 are back, you know, that'll just give us a, a whole new influx of material. Uh, but still, I, I think a, a very strong uh, group here in week five. As we said last week, I, I don't think anyone has knocked off Knowledge McDaniel or Harry Trotter yet. Um, you know, I, I don't know if we're going to get there at any point this week or excuse me, this season. I think Ulysses Bentley honestly belongs in that category. It's been biting at me all week. Um, you know, I haven't yeah. known how to bring it up, but I, I really think especially with the the Roman numeral at the end, like Ulysses, crazy name, Bentley, awesome last name, Ulysses Bentley, awesome name, adding the fourth on top of that. I mean, I just don't know if there's, I don't think it could get any better than that. Is it, is it too powerful almost right. at, at that point? Like that it, yeah, Ulysses Bentley on, on its own is crazy good. So adding, sticking the fourth on, on the end there, just remarkable stuff. Uh, so credit to, to Mr. And Mrs. Bentley, because that, that's just, Absolutely well played, but uh, why don't you uh, why don't you get us started here on on uh, on our on all name list for week five? So I'll kind of jump around a little bit. It's a receiver heavy list uh, this week. Um, you know, one who jumps out from Memphis, Kobe Drake. Uh, this sounds just like a like a stand Twitter account. You know, like the type of Twitter account that would like get after <laughs> you for like a LeBron take. Kobe Drake, unbelievable foresight by the parents. You know, neither of the like Kobe, I guess, was. Yeah, probably right around the peak of his powers at that time. But Drake, I mean, Drake was a nobody in probably in what, 2019. Yeah, I don't even know if Degrassi had started at that point. I so. don't think so. And, and if it had, I mean, I mean, Drake wasn't even going by Drake at that point. I think he was probably just going by Aubrey Graham. I mean, just unbelievable foresight again by the parents. Uh, I put Justin Rigg in here again. Just want to reiterate what a cool name that is. That's yes. a receiver from Kentucky. Uh, we have Rico Powers receiver from south carolina south carolina always has a guy named rico i've noticed <laughs> like they, they uh, have a rico quota and i'm here for it i love that yeah this is an incredible name all around this is one I, I think just based on the first name we have to consider um for a first team all name spot uh, at the end of the year messiah swinson <laughs> from missouri messiah <laughs> I mean, that, you're really calling your shot there, right? Uh, you know, when it when you name your 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 son Messiah, but um, who's to say that he's not the savior of the Missouri program? Right. I mean, that's up there with you know the old NBA or former college basketball star, and I think now like NBA assistant, uh, God, Sham God. Oh yes. I think I think it's slightly better to name your kid Messiah than God. Like going straight to God is crazy. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, that one needs a restrictor plate on it. So Mas- yeah, Messiah, right. my, my <laughs> Holy Spirit Smith. <laughs> um, we have Pro Wells at mm-hmm. TCU. Really cool. This is kind of in like the Boss Bailey, Champ Bailey family. 
where you just you just kind of are speaking your son's career into existence. Like he's just gonna be he was a pro from day one. He's a pro's pro. Yeah, that that's that's strong. And yeah, Pro Wells, um, I think he's he should get some playing time there. So that's always been a good name. I've always been waiting for him to to start to take off at TCU. So maybe it starts to happen now, now that we've given him the mention. Um similar guy, um, Hezekiah Jones, uh keeping it <laughs> biblical too. Um that that's great. Yep. And he also was was like a fairly uh, highly touted recruit. So I've been waiting for him to start to, to pop at A&M and with Jamon Osborne um, being out for the season or having opted out, I think there should be chances to, to go around for, for Hezekiah Jones. I'd, lo- I'd love to see it uh, start to, you know, take place here. Yeah. Get the ball to Hezzy, man. Uh, Hezekiah Jones seems like a hotel alias for like a pro athlete. Oh my God. That's perfect. Yes. Hezekiah Jones. Or if, some sort of if like not. Method. I'm going to start using that. Yeah, right. Um, Josh Fleeks uh, out of Baylor. You know, Fleeks kind of a kind of a wild last name. Nothing too special there. Uh, we have Dylan Stoner, receiver out of Oklahoma State. He's been around for a couple of years. This one is just kind of a two parter because you know Stoner, haha, kind of a funny last name. But then for the first name to be Dylan, which is like the number one Stoner name, <laughs> his parents knew what they were doing. <laughs> just like two power sources being plugged in <laughs> electric i love it exactly uh we have bladen reeves not Braden, bladen reeves mm. that's a running back from AM. uh we have gay floor flomo uh, re- uh running back for kansas i don't know what's going on there could not even begin to tell you like what kind of background that name it comes sounds from. like it sounds like almost like a um like a rap lyric or re- refrain yeah. that i would like miss on like misunderstand like gay floor flow mo i just i don't know it, it flows really nicely and I, I wouldn't know what it means but I, I like it a lot yeah yeah uh imari demarcado running back See. at tcu just a cool sounding name i don't really have any other comments just sounds really cool okay. uh the white from south carolina another very cool name uh braxton burmeister uh, Virginia that, Tech. That's a that very is Virginia the funniest Tech. name. Like yeah. I've 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 been a fan of this guy since I heard of him like committing to Oregon. So he was going to be the next guy uh, behind Justin Herbert. Obviously, with Herbert going back for his senior year, he ended up going uh, to Virginia Tech, transferring over. Um, got to play last week uh, with Hendon Hooker being out. Also a great name. So Virginia Tech showing out strong with with their. Um, with their names thus far, but Braxton Burmeester, like that's another one kind of like what you're saying there where it's like Braxton hilarious Burmeester even better. So like combining the two together is just yep. like, this is just, he was, he was born to be a, a scrambling quarterback and, and he's doing it, man. So uh, I'm a big fan, big fan of his. Um, I think that he, he really does have one of the best names in college football. So I would say again, uh, South Carolina and Virginia tech, are rising up the power rankings of overall t- cool guy to team na- or cool guy on the team ratio that they're really showing out strong here early on. You know, the way things are trending with these names, I, I got to think we're only five to 10 years off from a recruit being named like football Jones. <laughs> like somebody's just going to straight up name their kid football or like good football <laughs> player Smith. We, I mean, we do have DeColdis Crawford coming eventually. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I forget what year he is, but DeColdis is out there and he's waiting. Oh man, I forgot about that. That was one of those that that made it like nationally. Yeah, like my girlfriend was like, "Do you know about this guy? Like, <laughs> you've never once asked me about college football, let alone college football recruiting." 
his, his name is Decolas? And then, you know, a, a few years back, but, you know, we could almost call this the memorial Kobe Buffalo meet. Um, <laughs> uh, cool name of the week type of thing because, yeah, Kobe yeah. Buffalo, I, I, he ended yeah. up at like some FCS school, I think. But when you're, Doesn't you matter. know, it's cool when you're ending up at, at a, school that's outside the division or the fbs purview and people still know who you are so that that's the right. kind of strength that the kobe buffalo meet uh and, and company we're, we're bringing to the table then so I, I hope he's out there and i hope he's doing well and and has a promising career track somewhere all right man enjoy week five if you're looking for any college football uh, advice dfs plays projections value reports injuries we have it all on rotowire.com slash college uh, John's been doing an awesome job with his staff. Um, plenty of DFS picks each week. Um, all that stuff will be up on the site in the coming days. But value reports for DraftKings, FanDuel, head-to-head contests, um, basically anything you would need uh, when you're setting lineups heading into Saturday. That is all available on our college football page. So make sure to check that out. All right, man. Enjoy the week. All right, man. Likewise. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.